back on, I think. Not an easy thing to do. Thank you, Lindsay, for being so vulnerable and open. Um, thanks, man. Um, yeah, so we're taking sign-ups for next month. Uh, if you want to follow that, let us know. Um, Lindsay, great job. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, this morning, we are back uh, in the book of Mark. We'll get there in one second. I wanted to uh, kind of preemptively announce a couple things really quickly before we have all the announcements at the end. Um, right after worship today, we have a Guatemala mission team meeting. And so if you're going to Guatemala, you should already know about that. You'll be going to our house and having some Guatemalan food, kind of a deal, but also prepping and preparing and kind of planning for our trip uh, just in a couple months. But the reason I announced that, all of those people know you don't, but what we want you to do is just kind of pray for the planning. Uh, believe it or not, when you land in a country like Guatemala, like your best laid plans, they may go out the window as soon as you get there. So, you know, pray for the planning, pray for the preparation. Uh, go ahead and pray for the hearts of the people that, that our team is going to meet there and everything that's going on. Um, so be doing that. And then also uh, you'll see an announcement in just a bit um, for, for new for kind of 2023. Um, we're trying to provide an opportunity for people that, uh, man, want to go a little bit deeper with each other that want to have that relationship that pushes them down the road to Jesus. Because if you didn't know, like our whole mission, why we exist, is to make disciples who love God, love one another, and love the city. And we don't just say that, like we mean that. Like we could have a big giant worship service every single week and make that our identity, but that's not our identity. That's not why we exist. We exist to replicate ourselves because Jesus has replicated himself in us, in others. And one way that we do that, or the main way that we do that, is just through relationship. It's messy, it's hard, it's ugly, it's difficult, it's all of those negative things, but at the same time, it's also incredibly good. And so community groups are one way into that, and out of those community groups, this has already happened for a lot of people, but for some folks right now, you're in a season of life where you're not in a community group because life is nuts, and we understand that. And so for those people, uh, and even people that are in community groups that are looking for this, um, we're trying to gather groups of two to three people. All you're going to do is you're going to meet once or twice a month. You're going to communicate in the meantime, and you're just going to do one of two things. You're just going to either read through the book of Luke together, get together, talk about it, what God's saying there, what he's saying in the Bible, what he's saying to you, what do you need to do, what are you struggling with, what has God given you victory over, who do we need to be praying salvation for, reading through Luke or reading through GE Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Those are your two options, okay? That's how I remember it. That's my brain. Maybe it's not yours, but that, that's how I work. Um, and so one of those two things, and it's simple. You're not, you're not looking at anything extra biblical. It's just the Bible. It's just each other. It's just the Spirit interacting with two to three people, and you do it once to twice a month. Uh, if you want to do that, there's a link available that will be going on social media, but there's also a QR code, which may or may not work on your phone since it's on a screen, but it's there because we are super tech savvy, um, and I have an app. And so, uh, you know, that's what's important. I paid for the app. I'm going to use the app, and uh, we're not going to waste that $19 a year. And so there's that. And so if, uh, if you want to get involved in that, if you have more questions, see me or see Abby. Um, we'd love to get you plugged in. And if you're already doing that with some guys and girls, guys or girls, because these are gender same, guys with guys, girls with girls, just keep saying simpler. It's just wisdom. Um, if you're already doing that, we'd love to get you on board with what we're doing here. Keep it simple. Keep it re repeatable. Keep it sustainable. And keep it, you know, reproducible. So there's that. If you have any questions, talk to us about it. Okay. Back to Mark. A year and a half in. We're getting there. We're, in, we're near the finish line. Um, we've had a great time. I've learned a ton. Hopefully you've learned a ton. Hopefully God's used it. Um, I will be honest, today is probably the biggest chunk of Scripture that we have bitten off yet, and there's some rhyme or reason to it. Um, if we didn't do it in one day, it would take us six weeks, and so we're going to do it in, in one day. And it's Mark chapter 13, the whole chapter, and I, I will... 
it, it's a rough one, okay? We're just going to toss that out there. Like, from a, from a person who has, been, has known Jesus since I was six, okay, but been legitimately pursuing him since my early 20s, like, there's never really been that phase in my life to where God has said, I want you to dive into end times. Like, that hasn't been one of the things. Like, there's been times where I'm like, I want to know Old Testament history. Okay. I want to know early church history. Okay. I want to know as much about the tangible aspects of the gospel as I can. Okay. But there's yet to be that phase in my life in which God said, okay, I want you to study uh, the end of it all. I want you to study the end of it all before it all starts the way that he wants to do. It hasn't been there. Today, that's what a lot of this is about. Um, and if, if we read it through normally, like to be honest, even prepping for this, I learned a lot. My mind changed about a lot of things, was just open to do that. Um, it's one of these passages where if we just read it in passing, we think it's talking about one event or another, but in reality, it's, it's talking about two distinctly different events. One's going to parallel the first, one's already occurred, one has yet to occur, uh, there's a lot to be learned about this. And from the, outgo, from the outset of even preparing for this and looking at it several, several weeks ago um, to kind of start thinking through it, like my biggest question was, yes, I, I want us to know this, but, but here's the biggest question. What do we do with it? Because that's been, to be honest, that's been a lot of my struggle and probably my fallback when it comes to thinking about end times, uh, revelation, end time prophetic ideas, even from the Old Testament. Like part of me is like, look, here's my deal. I trust God. I trust that he's going to work things out the way that he wants to. I trust that hopefully, based on what I know, I'm going to recognize it when it occurs. And I've been good with those two things. Um, and so hopefully today, I want to replicate that to you, give that to you. But also, I do want us to ask, like, yes, it's great to know these things. It's great to hear these things, to think well on them, to even know, like, the literary way in which this is presented. But, like, if we don't ask, what do we do with it? We're kind of wasting our time, okay? So that's what we want to finish with. Like, what do we do with this? And so chapter 13... I'm going to go ahead and read through the whole chapter, and then we're going to kind of break it down the best that we can, but in a day and not six weeks, okay? Uh, so let's just hold on tight, and uh, let's roll. And let me pray before I do that, because I, need, I need, yeah, need the Holy Spirit to speak louder than anything I've got today. God, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for Scripture that's even difficult. Uh, that's just a lot. Um, God, we know that you intend to work through that just the way that you do those simple two to three verses that are super clear and super concise. God, I pray that you would move in this. I pray that you would use it to do what your word is faithful to do, to make us look more like Christ, um, and God, to equip us to be the church in this city for your good and for your glory. Um, God, for those who don't know you, and even for those of us who need to know you better, God, I thank you for loving us enough to share your truth with us in all the ways that you do, uh, but primarily through scripture. God, I pray that it changes us, makes us look more like Jesus today. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So chapter 13, verse 1, it will be on the screen, so uh, read it with me. And if you don't have a Bible, by the way, they're on the back table. You can grab one, take it, make it your own, write in it, do whatever you want to do. Highlighters are great. I don't care. Just, just take it and make it yours. Chapter 13, verse 1. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what a, what a wonderful stones and what a wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. They were talking about the temple. Verse 3, And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite of the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. 
For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginnings of the birth pains. But be on your guard. For they will deliver you over to councils. You will be beaten in synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and to deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say. But say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over death, and father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. It's happy right now, right? Okay. Yep. Let's keep going. Verse 14. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he or it ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, whom he chose, he has shortened the days. And when if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you these things beforehand. Continuing, but in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in heaven will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Verse 28, from the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. There's a couple repeating themes, and you probably heard them. I may have put emphasis on them intentionally. That's Anyway, we're not going to make that joke, but I just did. Stay awake, be alert, be on guard. Stay awake, be alert, be on guard. Look out for things. Like I said, this particular chunk, all of this passage, and the reason it can be so confusing is that it was in response to the question. We see it very early on. Uh, Jesus had been in the temple. He had been teaching in the temple. That's what we've been talking about for the past several weeks and months, the things that he was teaching. He entered Jerusalem, a Hosanna to the highest, all of those things. He went in. He flipped tables. He did all of that. He gave the lesson of the withered fig tree, a little bit different from this fig tree, did all of those things to teach people in that last week. Because, by the way, he is on his march to the cross. You know, this is in that Passion Week. This is probably early on Wednesday. 
um, in which he would be crucified in just a couple of days, kick death in the teeth, walk out of the grave on the third day, hallelujah, praise his name, really good. But in between then and, and what's to come, like, he has to teach. And he was doing so in the temple, correcting some ideas, pointing out who he was, pointing out what he was going to do, pointing out who he was not. And in this place, he leaves the temple, and he goes to the Mount of Olives right across, to kind of go down in the valley and go up on the mountain, and so you can see all of Jerusalem. And in seeing Jerusalem, you can't see Jerusalem without seeing this grand, ostentatious, huge expression of the temple. This was the second temple. It had been rebuilt after it was destroyed once, and now it was in upwards of 35 acres. And there's phrases from historians to say there was no gold that was not used here. It was all here on the outside for people to see. There were certain levels of walls. There were, there were colonnades. There were all of these things, a huge, massive complex, the crown jewel of Israel. And so they go across to the other side, and the disciples kind of naturally, they're walking away, and they're like, Jesus, did you see that building? Woo! You know, they were really proud. It was. It was an example of Israel's pride. It was. It was the culmination of all that they were worth. Their value was wrapped up in that building. After all, at one point, in some ways, the very Spirit of God, the person of God, rested in that building. Sins were atoned for, to a degree, in that building, at least within their view. Everyone gathered together in this place at those times to worship the one true God. It was a big deal. And they were like, Jesus, did you, did you see that building? Man, it's shiny. So big. And Jesus just kind of tells them, exactly like the woes and the pronouncements that he gave a couple chapters ago about the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the rest of the Sanhedrin. He's like, hey, that building that you're marveling at, it's going to be gone. I promise you. Pay attention, because in just a little while, it's going to be toppled. And he speaks a bit hyperbolically pardon me, about the fact that there will not be a stone that it was built with that will, not, that will be left in its place. We do know that there are some stones that are left there, the Wailing Wall and, and things like that, they're there. But it was just an idea of like also saying the city is going to be leveled, a similar idea that would have been said. Cities weren't completely leveled. Sodom and Gomorrah are completely different. But other cities, they were, they were knocked down. They were ruined. Basically, it was a phrasing to say it will not be used the way it's been used. It won't be possible because it's going to be completely destroyed for its use. And so he tells them that. And so naturally, they're like, well, Jesus, um, what do you mean? How do we know? When's it going to happen? Tell us everything. And it was just four. It was just four of them. Pretty interesting. James, John, Peter, Andrew. Um, the same four that were initially there in the call. Normally, the, there was a trio, but this time there was a quartet. Maybe there was an extra part of harmony they needed. I don't know. But either way, um, it was the four of them. They were just like, hey, Jesus, um, when? How are we going to know? And so what Jesus does in that moment is he starts to describe the first incidents. And the reason this whole chapter, this passage can be confusing is because Jesus talks about that first instance. Then he talks about the second instance. Then he comes back and talks about the first instance. Then he goes back and talks about the second instance. And if we read that without knowing it, we can get a little confused. Rightly so. Like, to be honest, there's a couple things in here I've read over the years, because to be honest, chapter 13 of Mark is one of those chapters that as I read through a book, or as I soap through a book, I read it and I'm just kind of like, okay, all right, end times. Not really the temple, it's about the end times, it's about how it's going to wrap up, but I, I was wrong, to be honest, for the majority of my life. What this is about is, yes, literally, quite literally, you see that temple you're marveling, marveling at, just a little while, probably about 40 years, gone. Just like those Pharisees, just like those Sadducees, just like those scribes, they're going to cease to exist. 
judgment. That was an important marker because the center of religious life was this building, this structure, this place. But like we see in John chapter 4 when Jesus meets with the woman at the well, who was probably most likely considered deplorable by all people, he's like, the day is coming where it's not going to matter. We're, he's just seeking true worshipers in spirit and truth. It's not going to matter about a building or a mountain, whatever your disagreements may be, it's going to be here. And later we see that we are the temple of the living God, the collective of God's people, us as individuals, and together we are the temple of the living God. So it was kind of uh, interesting and necessary for this temple to be destroyed or people would kind of be torn. But either way, he said, that temple is going to be gone. He said, how are we going to know? And so he tells his disciples, he's like, well, first of all, about this first event, there's going to be a ton of people that are going to come in my name. They're going to say that they are me, that I've come back. Now, they really don't even fully understand the coming back part yet. They haven't really grasped onto that because in just a few days, they're going to be shocked out of their gourds to find out that Jesus died. They're going to scatter. They're going to be like, this can't possibly happen. But either way, they're going to say, he's going to say, look, a lot of people are going to come. They're going to be in my name. Uh, They're going to pretend to be me. Don't believe them. Don't follow where they're going. It's not me. It's not me. That'll be one sign. He gives them another sign. He's like, also, there's going to be wars. And there were. There was a a war within Israel. There was wars from the outside. There were wars all over the place. He said not only wars, but there's going to be earthquakes and famines. Generally, in the Old Testament, in prophetic days, like if if there was a prophet that came to a group of people, he said, look, there's going to be a war. There's going to be a famine. uh, There's going to be an earthquake. It would mean that stuff was about to be done, like over. That was like finale kind of a stuff. Okay, that's not season finale. No, that's the end of an entire series on Netflix when that kind of stuff occurs. And so when they heard this, they would naturally think, like, if there's a war, there's famine, there's earthquakes, it's all going to be over. He said, no, 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 no. I'm telling you, it's a sign. It's not the end. It's just a sign that it's coming. He said, there's going to be wars. uh, There's going to be famine. uh, There's going to be all these apocalyptic things. But just understand, it's not marking the end. It's just a sign that destruction's coming. And so he tells them. He's like, so, I tell you this. As a result of giving you the signs, now I'm giving you direction. Be on guard. Be on guard. Be on the watch. Be on the lookout. Bolo. You know, if you ever watched NCIS, that's something I adopted. Bolo. I say that to people. They're like, what does that mean? I'm like, you didn't watch NCIS, did you? You never listened to a word Gibbs said. Anyway, sorry. Terrible sidetrack there. Be on guard. He said, be on guard uh, because not only are those signs going to be there that are outside working their way in, let me tell you what's going to happen to you as signs. You're going to be delivered over to the powers that be. You're going to be questioned. You're going to be tried. uh, You're going to be beaten. But here's what you get to do in all of those things. Here's my direction. Just tell people about me. Just tell people about me. That's that's why you're being beaten. That's why you're being tried. That's why you're being handed over to the powers that be, those people in high places that have the ability to tell others, your job in that moment, don't be afraid, don't be alarmed, just speak. And by the way, by the way, I'm giving you direction to do that, but I'm also giving you provision to do that because it's not going to be in your power that you're going to do it. You're not going to have the words, but the Holy Spirit does, and he's going to be in you. So when you're handed over, when you're delivered over, trust. Speak but trust. I'm giving you direction. I'm giving you provision. I'm also giving you mission in the midst of this, in this first event. But then he also warns them a little bit. He says, uh, you're going to be hated. You're going to be hated. Historically, we can verify that the people of the way, as they were called, Rome detested them. 
detested them, which led to the temple destruction, which led to all of the terrible things that we're going to see in just a minute. Like, you're going to be hated. And you're going to be hated not because you're nice, not because the clothes you wear or the, or the football team that you pull for. No, no, no. You're going to be hated because you love me. They hate me. They're going to hate you. And they're going to hate you pretty much to death. They're going to hate you to death. But he gives them one more provision. He's like, but I want you to understand. I want you to understand. Uh, in verse 13, it says, You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. He's not telling them they're going to be snatched out of the hands of being put to death, but he's telling them that eternal life rests, that life that they've been granted in only Jesus, it's there. It's there. No matter how it ends in this body, in the new one, you're going to be good. That's a lot. That's a lot. This is the first instance. He continues on. Uh, and then we get into verse 14. Let me read, starting in here again. It says, But when you see the abomination of desolation standing there, he or it, I'll tell you why I say that in just a second, ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who's on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in the winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been seen from the beginning of creation that God had created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you these things beforehand, giving, giving more information about this first event, the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, he says, look, I want you to understand, uh, there's something coming. You're going to recognize it, um, and when it gets there, this is what I want you to do. If you're still in the city, if you're still near the city, I want you to run. I want you to get away. The abomination of desolation, like a lot of syllables there, um, a lot of guesses about what this was. To be honest, we don't really know. We don't know. Uh, Josephus, uh, who was a historian at the time, a Jewish historian, uh, he believes that it was one of the zealots named John. And he believes it was him because when he came into the temple to take it over, they were people that were ceremonially unclean, okay? And then they ransacked the temple before it was destroyed. He thinks it was him. Either way, we, we really don't know. And it could have been a he or it could have been an it in Greek. We don't know. Um, history of translations has made it he, but in all honesty, in Greek, it's a little bit ambiguous, we don't know. So either it was an event or either it was a person. It, it happened right before the temple was destroyed. And he said, I want you to get out uh, when you see it, when you know it, when you recognize it. If you're in Judea, the region, I want you to go. Flee to the mountains. Generally what would happen is when danger came, you actually ran in the city inside the walls because in those walls was protection. That's generally what you would do, not the case here. Because in these walls, destruction was about to come, not protection. And so he said, when you recognize this abomination that is against the will of God, against the good things of desolation, the absence of that goodness, I want you to get out. He said, if you're on the top of the house, use the outside staircase and leave. Don't use the inside staircase to get your stuff and, and gather. You don't have time for that. Just run to the mountains. He said, uh, if, if you're in the field, don't take time to go home and get your cloak or get anything to protect you. Your biggest protection that you have right now is to get away because it's about to be really 
really bad. And I'm telling you these things so that you'll recognize it and you'll get out. What we know about this period, we can also look to Josephus, and, and this has already occurred. Okay, he's warning them about it. This has already occurred. And, and there were wars, and there was famine. There were, there were terrible things that were going on within the city. It even got so bad that there was cannibalism going on. Josephus, uh, Josephus probably exaggerated numerically a little bit, but he estimates that 1.1 million were dead, were killed, and around 75,000 were taken into captivity. During this, this one time in which Rome had had it, they were done, didn't like the people of Israel, didn't want them there, persecuting the people of the way, destroyed the temple. Maybe as high as 1.1 million were killed, either by the hands of them or the hands of each other, because they got trapped inside to the point where there were even historically verified accounts of them eating one another because things were so bad. Disease, famine, cannibalism, wars, all of those things. It got that bad. And Jesus is saying, before that happens, when you recognize this thing that's coming in, coming in to the temple, get out. Go. Flee. First event. First event, the destruction of the temple. Uh, we, we know it occurred. We saw it happen, or we didn't see it with our own eyes, but history saw it happen, and it was, it was bad. And about that same time, uh, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the temple, all gone. All gone. The system that was there to satiate one's desire for holiness was gone, but what was left was Jesus who didn't require daily sacrifices, who didn't require an expectation of doing everything just right. No, because he already did it all right, and we just get to believe and trust in him. Verse 24, second event. I'll tell you why. It says, but in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in heaven will be shaken. And then they, not you, they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds in great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth and to the ends of heaven. Now, Jesus to the disciples, confusing for us, probably confusing for them. History's helped us a lot. Also, some, some wording here helps us a lot. Now, Jesus is no longer talking about the temple destruction He's talking about when Jesus comes and wraps all of this up to its natural conclusion. Very much like in Acts 1.8 through 10, in which uh, we're continued the Great Commission, said, look, uh, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I want you to start here. I want you to go a little further. I want you to go where people hate you. You hate them. I want you to go as far as you can imagine. Be my witnesses. Share what you've seen. Share what you've heard. Share what you've experienced. And by the way, if it freaks you out to see Jesus leaving like this, wait till he comes back like this. Wait till he comes back. It says, uh, And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth and to the ends of heaven. But it's after that first event. Now, there's no timing given here. And we, to be honest, there's been a lot of effort to go in and say, Yeah, but that, that but, that first word, that but implies a great period of time. We, we don't know that. We don't know that. But we do know that towards the end of this, Jesus says that no one knows the day nor the hour, not even him, but only the Father. So in Jesus' terms, he knows that the destruction of the temple is going to occur, and then this is going to occur, but he didn't know when. 
Because this was part of that Philippians 2 idea of he willingly loosed or canoeed certain parts of his divinity so that he could live this life, die the way that he needed to, remain sinless, but die for men because he was man. Okay? Deep. I, I get it. But in this place, he's like, no one knows the day, the hour, the time. Not even me. Only the Father. And so in this place, he's saying, but after that tribulation, after the temple's destruction, after the end of Jerusalem as you know it, uh, there will come another thing. And at that point, I'm coming back. Coming back in dramatic fashion. And I'm going to claim mine that are left from the entire earth. It's crazy. Because we live in a very right now kind of a thing, right? Like a FOMO kind of an idea, fear of missing out. And I'll be honest, I don't, I don't look forward to this. Like, I don't look, not like I don't anticipate it or want it to happen, but I don't, like, there's not a lot of mental energy or emotional energy or spiritual energy that I commit to looking forward to that occurring. Like looking down the road future-wise, it's just not something that I think that about. And even sometimes convictionally, I don't think that much about heaven. Because I, I fear to a degree that if I think about how good it's going to be and how good the new Jerusalem will be, the new earth, the new heaven, uh, then I, I fear that I'll miss out on right now. Maybe that's me being disobedient because Jesus did tell us it's going to be that good. So he does want us to commit some thought and mental energy to it. But either way, in these kind of things, to be honest, I, I don't spend a lot of emotional energy thinking through it. But there's a reason that he told us about it. Because number one, I think he wants us to wait with great anticipation, but also be ready for it when it does occur. Be on guard. Be watchful. Stay awake. Look out. All of these things. This is the second occurrence. There was a temple destruction. He wanted to warn them of that then, in which case he said you. In this case, he says, and then they will see the Son of Man. Okay, so two separate occurrences. But then, again, this is why it gets confusing. We go to verse 28. He goes back to the first occurrence. And if we read it all without knowing these things or putting in the time that somebody else probably put in the time for us, thank you for that, men and women, that we stand on their shoulders and, and know the things that they know because God's given them that and they've worked hard for it. Either way, he goes back to the first occurrence. Verse 28 through 31, he says, From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and puts on its leaves, you know the summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near or it is near. Same idea, that Greek word. It's not masculine or feminine. It's kind of neuter. It's been translated he, but it's probably better to be it. Near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away but my words will not pass away. The reason it's important that we understand that this is referencing the first occurrence, because if it was not, to be honest, when it says this generation will not pass away, that would give us some crazy problems. We'll be like, well, what do you mean by a generation? Do you mean the earth's not going to end uh, in, in a generation past this one? It's, you know, it's going to happen? He wasn't talking about the wrapping up of the, uh, the parousia of all things he was talking about the temple. He went back to that first event. This generation, a Hebrew generation, generally lasted about 40 years. Jesus is walking on the earth right now about A.D. 32. The temple's destroyed in about 70, 72 A.D., about 40 years. Okay, a little bit of math there. But either way, he's like, look, um, I say this to you. This generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. He's like, I want you to pay attention. I want you to be on guard. I want you to know that destruction is coming, and it's going to happen while you... Peter, James, John, Andrew, and your contemporaries, most of you are still breathing. I want you to be aware. I want you to know. Mark was written around A.D. 60. Okay? It was recounted uh, and, and written down around 60 A.D. And so 
in about another 10 years or so, these things would happen. But he was recounting the words when Jesus said them at that time, at that place, on that mountain, in that situation. And so for these guys, the readers of this, they read this, they do a little simple math, they do a little history, and they're like, whoa, hmm, I need to be ready. Because stuff's coming. Bad stuff's coming. Let's go to verse 32. Hold that. Verse 32, but concerning that day or that hour, he goes back to event number two. He says, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So be on guard. Keep awake. Another translation for keep awake sometimes is be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. Be clear of thought. And then he gives a parable. He says, it's like a man going on a journey, and when he leaves home, he puts his servants in charge, each with his own work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows, sometime between midnight and 3 a.m., or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. So here's the deal. We have two completely different occurrences, but very similar. One was written to a group of people that lived then in that place. Destruction on a city temple level was coming, and it was going to be bad. It was going to be rough. The other is written, what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake, was written to the rest of us who have come to God through Jesus, indwelled by the Holy Spirit after His departure and ascension, the church, the ecclesia, He's telling us the same thing. But it's not about the temple being destroyed. It's about all of it being wrapped up to its right, just, and holy conclusion. And the same reason He told the disciples the things to look out for, the things to be aware of so that they would be prepared and knew what to do is the same reason He's telling us so that we can be prepared, so that we can stay awake, so that we may be on guard, so that we may know. And for me, like to be honest, uh, I, I do. I read Revelation, and, and I'll, I'll just readily admit, I don't know what a lot of it's talking about. Like, I'll be honest. Like, I, I mean, I've sat under people that, I mean, their deal was like Old Testament and New Testament prophecy about the end times. And I've even heard them say, like one of, my, one of the guys that was a great mentor to me, incredibly bright, reading towards the ends of Daniel, which goes hand in hand with Revelation. He kind of read to it. He's got a nice raspy voice. He's like, I'll be honest. When I read this, I have no idea what it means. But I think I'll recognize it when it happens. Right now in my life, that, that's how I feel. Like I go and read Revelation, no matter which movies I watch or what books I read, I don't know what that beast is. I don't know what the eyes represent. I don't know what the horns represent. But I do believe this, that God's good. He's going to wrap it up in His way. And He's told me these things. He's told us these things so that when they occur, we will recognize them. These disciples, pretty similar. Like the terms that He's speaking in, even though a bit more specific, they probably had no idea about wars, earthquakes, famines, people coming and saying that they were Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, most specifically. They probably had no idea that it was about to happen, but when it did, they were like, oh, 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 I should run now. 
it's time for me to go to the mountains because things are about to get bad. Those that didn't recognize it, they stayed. And they were destroyed. And that's horrible. But it's all the more impetus for us to do exactly what this text keeps repeating over and over and over. Look out. Be on guard. Stay awake. Watch. Be ready. Be ready. And Jesus even admits, I don't even know when it's going to occur. Only God knows. The Father, that part of the Trinity, knows. So for the rest of us, I say to all, stay awake. And so what do we do with this text? Well, I think the first is just that. We be ready. We stay on guard. We keep awake. We stay awake, whatever the verbiage is. And by that, I mean that we live a life that is worthy of the calling that we have been called by. And we live it the best that we possibly can with the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us, with the Word to direct us, with the family of God to hold us accountable. We live that life. Because we don't know when God's coming back. And we don't have time to start that tomorrow because we don't know. Because tomorrow could be the day that we see Jesus come out on clouds and it blows our mind and we see it and we're like, I know exactly what that is. We don't have time to start tomorrow. Like there needs to be, like we read this, the be awake, the stay awake, the be ready. All of these things, it should create a sense of urgency in me, in you, to live the life that God has called us to live. To abandon sin, to choose Him instead, to live out His gospel and share it with as many people as possible. Because they don't have time to wait until tomorrow to hear it either. So that means we live, it also means that we share. Lindsay, thank you for sharing your story. Resting in your story is the gospel, that God fixes broken things, and you couldn't do it. You couldn't do it, but God can. For those of us who have been bound to God through Jesus, we all have that exact same story. We get to live it out. We get to share it in word and in deed. Why? Because we don't have time to wait until tomorrow. Because we don't know that tomorrow will be here. So be ready. Stay awake. Be sober-minded. Think well. Live ready. We live the life that God has called us to as soon as we possibly can, knowing that he will equip us in the moment to do it in his name for his glory, in the absence of my aptitude. Live. Share. I think the second thing is this, and I think it's exemplified by what we see in the rest of the disciples' behavior. Shortly after this, there would only be 11 left, disciples proper, because Judas would kill himself. He would betray Jesus. We'll read about that in the next couple of weeks. Um, but we see them. They lived it out. They shared it. And all through it all, they trusted God with the outcome. They trusted God with the outcome. If they had not trusted God with the outcome, 10 of the 12 wouldn't have been martyred. But 10 of the 12 were. They were all put to death for the sake of Jesus. They were handed over, just as he said. And at every chance, they took every opportunity in their being handed over to share, to be witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And they trusted God with the outcome. Even if it wasn't the outcome they wanted, it was the outcome God desired. And they trusted Him with it. And so, yes, we, we read this and we're like, man, this is terrible. It sounds real bad. But He says, I want you to understand just like he said a couple of weeks ago, 
you want to be first, you need to be last. And also, kind of in that same breath, if you desire to keep your life, you need to lose it. Understand, for my glory, the economy looks very different. Very different. So be ready. Trust God with the outcome. We live in a, a place, a time, a circumstance that we don't really know what persecution is. We can say we do. We can say that we've been persecuted, but let's, let's, be, let's be honest, intelligent people. You read this, <laughs> and you go back and you read the history of what the early church went through, and then you go and you read what our brothers and sisters in places with lots more letters in their name of their country or hard-to-pronounce names in their country, what they go through just for Jesus. We haven't been persecuted, but it is coming. And this is not an anti-nationalistic thing. It's just reality. This is Scripture. Like, it's coming. Be it in my lifetime or my kids' lifetime or their kids' lifetime, it's coming. And we need to be aware and we need to be ready so that when it does, we're like, oh, 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 Jesus, you told me that was going to happen. You told me that was going to happen. And it actually bolsters our trust even more, even in the midst of horrors and terrible things and people being handed over by fathers and children for the sake of Jesus. Be ready, but trust God with the outcome. Because it should go without saying, but I'll say it because I need to hear it and I need to say it. His outcome is far more important than mine. His outcome, far more important than mine. His outcome, far more important than yours. It's just the truth. And people need to hear it. Our city, 29601 and beyond, they need to hear it. They need to know, and we get to tell them. You get to tell your coworkers. You get to tell your neighbors. You get to tell your children. Some of you get to tell your spouse. We get to tell them. And we are so completely unworthy. But Jesus made us capable, made us worthy. be fun in community groups this week. If you're not in a community group, we recap sermons on Sunday, uh, in our community groups, and I was telling Abby last night, I was like, wow, I'm, I have no idea where to go with these questions for community group this week, so we'll work on those this afternoon. So if y'all want to pray for me, Sunday group, y'all get out probably, y'all get a pass, because uh, um, y'all didn't get to meet last week, so y'all get to do the last week's stuff. Uh, but for the rest of you, have fun with that. It's going to be good. Thank you for being here. Man, thank you for gathering and making time and effort and the sacrifice to gather as a family of God to worship because God's worth it. Thank you for that today. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have some announcements. I'm looking for Sarah Bonner. Yeah, she's back with kids. She's on her way. Perfect. And then we'll have some more announcements, and then we'll, we'll head on out after we tear down, of course. God, we love you. Thank you so much for loving us. Thank you, God, that you're worth it. Uh, you're worth the wars, the famine, the strife. You're worth all those things for us to endure until the end. God, as a family, as individuals starting there, God, I pray that you'd remind us to stay awake, to be on guard, to watch, to be ready, to live a life that's worthy of the calling in which you've called us. God, to, to share a story that is worthy of retelling, and it's yours, the way you interact with us. And God, we pray that you would use those things to grow your kingdom, grow your fame, and allow us to be witnesses. 
thank you, God, for the goodness that is represented by your son, the perfection that's represented by your son that we can trust in to know you and be known by you and make you known. God, I do pray that, that as we go through this year, even though it's no different than last year, God, if, it, if it's kind of a, a milestone for some or a marker in the road, God, I pray that we would live, just like we talked about last week, that one day at a time we would just tell you, God, today, today is yours. Do with whatever you want. Take it. Uh, make it whatever you want. Do with me whatever you want in an effort, God, for us to live, for us to share, for us to be ready and to trust you with the outcome. God, I thank you for loving us. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he is completely sufficient to make us right with you. And it's in his name, in his name alone. Amen.